We met at Starbucks. Not at the same Starbucks, but we saw each other at different Starbucks across the street mm -hmm. from each other. And Hamilton got up the courage to walk across the street one day and approached me. Yeah. I'd seen you at law school before. Yeah. And I know that sometimes I'd be in one Starbucks and then you'd be in the other Starbucks. And then I think maybe, you know, I should go over to that Starbucks next the next weekend and then you'd be at the other Starbucks. So we kind of crossed. <laughs> All right, welcome back. I'm joined by a very special guest. He is the man. He's one of the dudes that anytime he has something to say about recruiting or an evaluation, I stop what I'm doing, I read and I listen. I'm talking about Jerry Hamilton, number one on the program, number one in your hearts. Jerry, thanks for joining us, man. Look, I like the tropical setting of your, your backyard. Yeah, man. Yeah, just working out under a little uh, palapa, you know, uh, just have, having a good time, man. You, uh, getting used to the uh, sunset, sunshine again and, uh, in Houston, Texas, man. It's good. It's good so far. It's getting hot, though. Nothing like Austin last week. It was uh, nine straight days over 100. You're starting to glow a little bit, Jerry. <laughs> that was a twenty beautiful. mile. That was a twenty mile cycle ride this morning. <laughs> oh, nice! Good for you. How? What's what's the heat going to be today? A little like nine, 97, 98. Uh, heat index well over hundred. But I had to Austin tomorrow, and it's going to be one hundred and two, hundred and three every day. Well, the good it, thing it, about it, Texas is there won't be any there won't be any humidity. Not at all. Not at all. Especially in Houston, you know. Yeah, along that I ten line, you know, all the way down to Orlando, no humidity at all. So I'm in California and it's, it might get up to 68 today, Jerry, which is pretty hot. I mean, that's like, if I expose my skin to that, I could get a, a mild burn. I, I could sweat a little. If I run, I'm going to go to the outdoor gym and do a bunch of chin-ups. I might sweat. That, that, that's a, that's polo at, uh, at pebble weather. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to wear my, uh, my top siders, throw on my polo and there you go. Uh, carry a tennis racket and my OP, my ocean Pacific shorts. <laughs> Remember those? My Jupiter days. Yes. Yes. Good stuff. All right, Jerry. Hey, I am remiss if I don't talk recruiting having you on here. I'm going to pick your brain about some other big picture stuff because that's the stuff I really find fascinating. But what I do find fascinating, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but here's the vibe I'm getting. I don't think this staff is as sold on the 23 recruits in the state of Texas as they were on 22. My evidence compiled by Mr. Jerry Hamilton's crack intel is that this is a big recruiting weekend for Texas. Happening in June, no less, six of the top nine dudes are from out of state. Yeah, I think the first thing is the 2022 class in Texas overall, I'm not so the talent at the top was great, but the depth was amazing in Texas. It's as good a year as my 20 plus years in the business, honestly. We'll see how the kids turn out, right? There's more that these kids have to deal with now, social media, now NIL. I mean, there's so much more, but from a pure talent perspective, 2022 was special class. And then you look at the offensive line in 2022, and then the in-state in 2021 was a great offensive line class. So we've had back-to-back -back classes that I think were above the norm. And I think the 2023 class, and we'll see what 2024 has to hold, but I think I call it kind of the COVID class. Kids miss time working out, right? I mean, there's less, some of the kids didn't come back to football. Um, you've, there's some things that have gone on, and that's not just in Texas. That's nationally probably more so uh, in a lot of other states. But um, I, I think it's led to the state. You can't be as good as 2022, but even in Texas, it may be slightly a down year, uh, especially as far as top-end talent. Uh, but at the same time, you look at a kid that Texas just offered, Trevor Gooseby, uh, who had a really – 
good junior year on the field. But then when all the colleges went out and evaluated him in the spring, because Melissa has a number of talented kids, including 2024 Nigel Smith, who's on campus today in Austin, um, you know, he's a kid who just he, he's offensive lineman or later developers. Right. So you still have those guys that the colleges go around and look at. And the TCU's Texas and Oklahoma's are thinking, man, this guy may be an NFL player down the line here, but there may not be as many of them. So to your point, I think you're right. Uh, I think it's forced Texas to go look for the best players they can in the country that are the best fits and uh, at positions of need, obviously, like a Sadir Mitchell coming in from New Jersey. This weekend, Texas wants a nose guard. They need somebody with that has a big frame to play over the ball. And so Texas having to go far and wide for those guys. But look, with the move to the SEC coming, you're going to see more Southeast recruiting, especially when you bring in uh, Tashar Choice on the staff and uh, the history of some of the other guys, Bo Davis, uh, Kyle Flood on the staff. So you're going to see more recruiting from Texas over to the Carolinas in the future. That, that Jersey kid you mentioned, I, it caught my eye that he's a Bergen Catholic guy, which if you're not familiar with, uh, I'm not telling Jerry this, I'm telling the listeners this, that's a really good program. Like yes. they could go play football with Texas 6A schools and be just fine. Uh, they, they put a lot of guys in, in FBS programs. One interesting thing, that's Brian Cushing's right. uh, school. Yes. They're mercenaries. So yes. they, they don't feel constrained that they have to go to Penn State or even uh, Michigan or Ohio State. Those guys will go all over the country. They'll play in the SEC. Yeah, I think New Jersey is always a great state to recruit if you have connections there. Because, look, Greg Schiano is going to keep a few more guys home, but still the top cream of the crop guys. You're going to have a hard time keeping home. And that's the same at Maryland, same in Jersey. Those are really good states to recruit because those kids will leave. And a lot of those kids, they've grown up watching uh, the SEC win all the national championships. And with Texas saying, you know, hey, we're going to the SEC now, it's there's an avenue there. And Kyle Flood obviously was a head coach at Rutgers, so he can get you in the door on any prospect in that state. And that's what happened. And now Bo Davis has uh, taken that one over, of course, as a D-line coach and Sadir Mitchell's visiting this weekend. And Sadir, again, I think he's going to the SEC. Um, you know, he's, he, he visited Georgia May 20th, A&M the 3rd. Um, he was at Miami the 10th. We'll consider that SEC kind of like Texas, right? And in that SEC region, that's where all the kids want to be if they can get there. And then he's got Texas this weekend and Auburn next, uh, the 24th. So it's lining up that this kid's going to go to the south to play college football unless an Ohio State comes in late or Rutgers can keep him at home, which doesn't look like the case right now. We got a tropical storm blowing in to Houston. Hear that wind. I, need I, I need it, man. It's just not when I'm cycling in the morning. It's drying you out and blowing beautifully through your hair. I'm trying not to be distracted, Jerry. All right. You be um, the first. <laughs> exactly. Hey, um, I, I'm I'm noticing Georgia is in on every recruitment of every elite, elite recruit in the country. I mean, it's it's Georgia, Alabama, and fill in the blank. Uh, obviously they've been recruiting well for a while, but that national championship was the culmination. It was the proof in the pudding for Kirby smart of, Hey, I'm not just a talent acquirer. We're going to win a natty here. I'm going to put 15 dudes in the league in one year, come to Georgia. That's become the new cell, the new sexy cell. And there's other reasons as well, but let's stick to the things between the lines. Yeah, yeah, and there's no doubt. And look, Athens is a great college town. I, I don't know it was last time you've been there, but I, I went there a lot um, over the years in the business. Used to go to Georgia camp uh, every summer, and um, it's a great college town too. I mean, so look, if if Georgia and Alabama, I, I've said this before, not not with you, but if they ever get on, got on close to the same footing, 
Athens over Tuscaloosa for a lot of kids. Hell yes. And, and so if there's a small differentiator there, if you say, okay, well, we can win a national championship too and put all these guys in the league, that's a small differentiator that I, I think a lot of kids prefer uh, Athens as a college town. That's not to say Tuscaloosa hasn't grown. It's not a good place. But Athens is one of those top college towns in the country. And um, so I think that's another little feather in the cap. It's an, Look, it's an hour away from Atlanta, yes, but a great, great city uh, as well. So uh, Georgia, that's why they were always considered a sleeping giant program, because if they ever got the right guy in there and won at the highest level, they have a lot of things outside the lines to help to help close those recruitments. And you're seeing it right now. To your point, Jerry, about 10 years ago, I wrote uh, a piece about the if you opened up every job right. in college football, where would you want to be the head coach? And I, Georgia was in my top 10. It was actually probably number six or something. And I got a ton of pushback. People saying, oh, that's number 18. What are you thinking? And okay. I'm like, hey, guys, like you need to understand the word potential. And you right. got to understand the degree to which they've underachieved of what they're capable of doing. And on a per capita basis, the Georgia athlete, the state of Georgia athlete 100%. is is awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think Georgia's a top three college football job. Yes. It, it currently today, because look, the Atlanta area, the population's continued to grow. Amazing uh, athletes in that, in that area. But here's the thing about Georgia. You have quarterbacks, you have skill guys, you have big linemen on both sides of the ball. And so you have everything right there. Um, you have great kickers that are coming out of that state. And then directly to your south is, is Florida. I mean, then you just head east a little bit and you're in North Carolina and yep. you're competing against Clemson for the best guys. Even Mac Brown's cut into it a little bit, but still he hasn't won enough. So you're competing with Clemson for the best kids. And South Carolina has a ton of talent. They just don't have as much of it as other people, but they have a ton of high-end talent in that state. And then, I mean, you look west, it's Alabama. It's Mississippi Juco's. It's a great job. Then you factor in the college town and you factor in the conference, and it's a top three job in college football. Anybody that argues otherwise, I think's wrong. Yeah, I really people, I, I always argued it was basically a very similar job to LSU, but actually a more real university. Right. Yeah. Georgia's yeah. become a decent school. Yes, yeah, in a better college town. I mean, yeah. it, it, and if you look at it, LSU to be great, and they, and they have been, has to keep all those kids at home. Nick Saban's been the only guy that's really beat them on guys and more on I-20 than I-10 because the kids in North Louisiana are a little more uh, apt to leave and especially head east to Alabama. Um, but LSU has to win in state. Georgia has to win a lot in state, but they don't have to win everything in state because they have yeah. so much talent surrounding them. And, and you, when you can go to Miami, you can go to Tampa, you think about all the areas where all that NFL talent's coming from, and, and Georgia's a great job if they ever got over the hump. And now you're, you're going to see in the next few years what's going to happen. And they're going to be – they've been in contention under Kirby, but they're going to stay in contention. Don't never underestimate the value of a direct flight to Atlanta on, on multiple airlines, right? And the ease yeah. getting out to Athens versus Tuscaloosa. Uh, and, you know, LSU, the other predicate for that is they better hit East Texas and Houston pretty hard if they're going to yeah. realize their full potential. Well, and let's be real. You know, the reason I'm on the Georgia bandwagon is I'm hoping somebody will get me to end to play the Masters one day. And, and that's my best that's my best chance. So I'm going to stay on that bandwagon until I find my connect. But, yeah, LSU has to recruit East Texas, has to recruit the Houston area well. Um, and, and you know what? And I say it, but they have to recruit I-20 in, in North Louisiana really well. And, 
And, and if you look again, that's where that's where Saban's hurt them. You know, Cam Robinsons of the world, and, and you just kind of go down the line on I twenty. And uh, when obviously when Nick was the head coach at LSU, though he he won those battles for about three or four years with those great classes he had to get to win that national championship. But for Brian Kelly coming in now, you're going to get a certain percentage of the guys, the, the majority of the guys you need in South Louisiana. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you got to win on I-20. You got to win in Houston and you got to win in East Texas. You're spot on. And you got to dabble enough in Dallas because there's so much talent on I-20 south of Dallas right now. So much talent. You can't leave that area alone. No. Well, let's talk about that. Um, who are the headliners for you this weekend? Who are the guys that Texas needs to make serious inroads? Yeah. You know, um, I look at Hunter Osborne. Um, same high school as Justice Finkley. I think Clemson did a really good job on that official visit. Um, there was some chatter from people in the industry that that's why he canceled Auburn. I mean, he's a kid at Hewitt, Tr at Hewitt Trustville, is that Clemson did a really good job with him. You know, headed into June, Florida, everything I heard was Florida was the team to beat for Hunter Osborne. Uh, Bo Davis obviously has a ton of connections in the state of Alabama. And getting the kid on campus for an official this weekend is huge. I think Texas is going to be right there. Uh, with Clemson, Florida, and Tennessee. He's got the Tennessee official visit, I believe, the 24th of June. He has not scheduled Florida yet, which is something uh, to follow how long this recruitment's going to go. Uh, but I think Texas has to make up some ground there. Um, it, it, it'll be a first visit out. I mean, obviously, Finkley has told Hunter Osborne all about Texas, but it's different when you come out there and see it for yourself. And then I think Sadir Mitchell's a big one. Um, look, Georgia was considered the favorite. I've heard Georgia would take him, but there are some concerns in the Mitchell circle about the depth potentially at Georgia and Texas A&M where he visited. I heard the Miami visit didn't, wasn't a home run. I thought it would be a home run, but apparently it wasn't a home run. So now Texas is in a position that look, they can prove and show Sadir Mitchell. We need a nose guard. We need somebody with your size over the ball. Keandre Coburn's graduating. And there is opportunity here, especially when you line up against, you know, Byron Murphy's not that guy. Dre Bledsoe's not that guy. Some of the guys that are going to be the top, defensive lineman in the future, Aaron Bryant's not that guy. So there is something to sell Sadir Mitchell on uh, this weekend. And I think the, and I think another big one is uh, is the two receivers, uh, Petaway and, and, and Mikhail Harrison Pilot. I think both could be argue their Oklahoma leans right now. Um, and we'll see, we'll see what happens there. Brennan Marion has a really good relationship with Petway. And obviously everybody wants to talk about Arch, how Arch could factor into that. But look, Brennan Marion's not going to talk to Jaquay's Petaway this weekend about, okay, if Arch comes to Texas, he, he's, he's relationship 101 this weekend and why he should win that recruitment regardless of where Arch Manning goes. Um, and that's going to be huge because I think Oklahoma, it, it surprised it surprised to me, not a negative on Kale Gundy, but I was told early on Kale Gundy had hit it off with Petway and then, you know, Petway getting up there twice. And the offense I think is, uh, you know, the, the capability to come in and play right away is intriguing to Petway. Uh, I think he was always going to stay close to home, and I'm hearing it's going to be Texas or Oklahoma. Hmm. What about Pilot? Is he a guy? Is he is is he almost? I, mean, I don't want to say overlooked. He's a well regarded guy, but is it is it because he's got more athletic ability than skill right now? Like people don't see the translation as easily, or what's the deal on that guy? I, I think syntax guys get overlooked. I mean, yeah. Jaden Chapman's one of the top offensive line prospects in the country, but he's not talked about it on message boards like he is. I, I think that's – I mean, we can go all the way back to when Derek Strait came out of Austin area. I mean, 
he wasn't talked about as a, a, a big time player, but he certainly was. Um, so I think the syntax guys still get lost in the shuffle because so much media attention is Dallas, is Houston, and then in Austin, Westlake, and Lake Travis areas. So I think that's part of it. I think the other thing with Harrison Pilots, what position he's going to play. It's so much easier for people to get behind a prospect when they know what he's going to play. I think he's going to play wide receiver because that's what he wants to play. And Sarkeesian and Marion taking over that recruitment, I think it's pretty obvious what Texas is going to play him at if he chooses to go to Austin. But I think that all factors into it. Uh, but it's so much easier on message boards, I think, for – when, when you can say, okay, this guy is a top three receiver target for Texas and Oklahoma, and you can identify him as the position he's going to play, I think it makes those guys a little more attractive. I think that early on, you kind of, okay, what's he going to be? But then at some point, you're like, what is he going to be? Because I want to know what my school's recruiting him at. And I think that's all factored in with Harrison Pilot. Um, he's, also, he, he's also a kid that is He's not as out there on social media, right? So he's not branding himself as well as some others, or and that's by choice. Um, his dad's a coach. Uh, it's a little different game. I grew up in that game. So he's not out there on social media all the time branding himself like some other guys are. So he's not the social media star. I find that to be a refreshing plus in the, in the positive column. Yeah, maybe not for NIL initially, but yes, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, well, it also, look, I understand the desire to project and project cleanly. I also think like the industry, I really struggle with some of the guys who have a lack of imagination and the ability to take a set of athletic skills and say, yes, of course he can play X. Yeah. But, you know, let's take Adrian Phillips, Okay. He played the win the game position in high school, a high school quarterback who's running, um, you know, running option, right? right. And, and he's basically win the game for us, right? right? You watch him play, you look at his physicality, you look at the fact that he's just super athletic and kind of do anything he wants, and you go, yeah, he's going to play DB and he's going to be great. He's, he's got the physicality. Like, this isn't hard. And people right. were, like, struggling. Well, we don't know if this quarterback – he's like, he's not a quarterback. Right. He's playing quarterback to try to win games at his high right. school. Quandre Diggs, same deal. Yes. it's it's. Yeah, think, think, think about Texas almost didn't offer Quandre Diggs because they didn't know if he could play corner. It's, it's Quentin so, Jammer's brother. It's <laughs> I mean, so just, silly. He was going to Oklahoma. I mean, just think about that. That's crazy, right? Do, do you get frustrated with other guys in the industry when you see their inability to kind of see the traits and project it to the position? Um. Not, not really. My whole thing with my, the business is, is, is if you're a grinder, I'm good, man. I mean, look, we all have different opinions. If you're a grinder, I'm good. If you're, if you don't grind and you have a strong opinion, well, oh, well, you know, yeah. go work a little harder at it then, you know, but I, I think it's, I think the biggest issue in our industry and Charles Power and myself, we talked about it in football rankings, myself and Jamie Shaw in national basketball rankings for on threes. Are you worried that recent events have derailed your retirement plans? It certainly made us reassess all aspects of ours. And that's why we're proud to offer our listeners a chance to work with David McClellan, a fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. David's practice specializes in financial life coaching and retirement planning. And right now he's offering free consultations for our listeners if you mention the podcast. As part of this consultation, David can help you understand your financial freedom number and what that means to you in assessing your future financial plans. If you want to build wealth, if you want to make optimal decisions within your financial life, David is someone you need to talk to. You can reach him at 312-933-8823. Once again, 
That's David McClellan at 312-933-8823. He's located in Austin, Texas, but he's got a nationwide clientele. Do yourself a favor and get some great financial advice for free and see if you might want to work with Mr. McClellan. I think you'll be happy with your phone call. The, pro, the biggest issue in our industry is ranking a guy high early and then not having the stones to drop him. And we're not going to be that way at on three, so we're going to take some trash. Uh, but we are not going to get boxed in because a kid was really good when he was 15 or 16 because the reality is kids are going to pass some of these guys up. They don't all develop at the same rate. And that's the biggest issue in our industry is ranking a guy high as a freshman or sophomore and then not having the stones to drop him when you know you need to. 100%. I got a name for you. You probably have 100 names, but I'm a, I'm a recruiting weenie compared to you. Leroy Scott. Yeah. Total yeah. stud, early developer, sophomore, looks like a grown man. He stayed the same. Yeah. He was the same guy as a 17-year-old as he was as a 15-year-old. And when you're playing specific, uh, specifically defensive back, if you don't see that development uh, of, of athletic ability, traits, physicality, all that, He's just the same guy, and they didn't, and people didn't have the nuts to sort of realize that. Yeah, and, and until and late, I, late in the process, late in the process, it, it, yeah. it, I, evaluation so much fun and so interesting to me. One of the things I saw, a spider just ran across the screen. Uh, <laughs> just so hold on, we got a comment on this. Is that, that, was, a, not, is that, that was not Charles Spider Man. It was not Charles Spider Man Smith from Fort Worth Dunbar. <laughs> that was a real that, spider. That um, thing was big. What? what it or was it big. just? It, it was big, and I, I don't think it's on my leg. Um, but what, are you safe, things, Jerry? <laughs> I'm safe. I'm safe. Okay. Um, but one of the interesting things w- with a kid like Leroy Scott that I noticed in evaluation, because I was really younger in the business then, and you, if you're not picking up things every year, you're not doing your job, is he, he was a toes-up guy, which meant he had tightness. Okay? He wasn't as flexible as some other guys. And you're realizing how if that if, if those toes start pointing up on those shoes a little bit and you can see a shoe where it's worn where the toes are up that's not ideal for flexibility and uh it's just you just got me thinking on Leroy Scott the things I love about the evaluation process is you know uh, the first looks and the things you notice uh whether it's a guy's Q angle whether it's his gait whether it, it's it's the scar from a knee surgery or or patella or whatever it is with Leroy Scott it was toes up Yep. And I said, okay, he lacks a little flexibility. So you learn all the time. And I was actually standing on that field with a college coach, and he noticed it too. He said, hmm, that's going to be an interesting one for a DB. <laughs> that, that is a, so that's the thing I love about you is you notice some of these things beyond a 40 time, beyond their vertical. Um, here's one of my pet peeves, and people have heard it, so you guys can all take a drink if you're listening to the podcast. One of my frustrations with evaluators, and you don't fall into this. It's one of the reasons I really respect you is they'll point out all these amazing traits in a player. He's fluid. He's got great feet, good worker, uh, long, good frame. Uh, His dad played uh, NFL. His mom was a college basketball player, uh, two-parent family. He's a little weak. This this sophomore in high school is a little weak. He can only bench press 185 right now. And it's like, guys... He's a genetic freak. The easiest thing to do in the world is get bigger and stronger. It's not hard. I can, I can take any listener listening to us right now and I can make you eat and work out and you'll get shockingly stronger and you're a genetic piece of garbage. 
These guys are amazing. And by the way, that's me included and Jerry included. A guy with a 37-inch vertical leap can get much, much stronger, much, much faster than any normal human being. Oh, you know what the best one of all time was? It was Kevin Durant coming out of Texas. Oh, my remember God. When he, remember when he couldn't do 185 once? No. And, and I was like um, – he had 41 and 18 against Bob Knight on the road. Okay. He averaged 25 and 12 in the Big 12 and, and was a national player of the year. And we're going to say he can't bench 185. He releases the ball. He's nine feet. Okay. And he has the footwork of a point guard, but he can't bench 185. So we're going to make that a reason we take Greg Oden, who clearly had one leg shorter than the other if you ever watched him. Yes, and was, that's the most. And now I was joking around. I was actually at TJ Ford Academy yesterday, who does a great job out in Missouri City. And we were joking around. I said, I said, hey, Kevin might not be able to bench 185 today, but he's got 185 million. Yes, that is exactly <laughs> right. TJ, by the way, an all time great dude and a great Longhorn. Yes. Yeah, it was fun. I was fun. It was fun out there. I took my son yesterday um, because James Harden was goes and works out. Daryl Morey was there. Sam Cassell was working James out. And my kid, as he's gotten older, loves the game. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's go out there. Let's watch a pro workout so you can see what it's really like. And uh, so he had, he had a great time with that. But TJ does amazing stuff for the young kids in the Houston area. Um, he's now getting some of the top girl prospects to come through and start working out at his academy down in Missouri City. He's a great dude, a great Longhorn. Um, and you know what? His, his son's a really good player, too, that a lot of colleges are missing on. He's going to be good. That's good. Yeah. One of the things I really like about TJ uh, is yeah, I've had a chance. I've had the honor of sitting and chatting with him for a long time, a few times. And he uh, he'll hear you out like right. he he like he's a not just a pro basketball player. He sees the game at an elite level, elite. obviously. Yes. And I would bounce opinion. I would you know offer opinions about stuff and he would like listen to me. And say, well, that's a good point, but you need to think about this. Or right. here's why. And and he didn't like condescend to me. He didn't. No. He didn't pull the. Hey, dude, do you know who I am? Uh, <laughs> it was. It was all. It was a conversation. And and it, it's it's a it's a there's a humbleness about him that I really appreciate. I'm going to tell you a great story. So uh, me and a buddy who runs Nebraska Supreme AAU uh, dominates that area in Nebraska and AAU basketball has great facility, 300 plus teams. He was in Houston on some business and we, we had lunch with TJ Ford and Daniel Ewing. Okay. And TJ and Daniel got into a debate. And of course, you know, I had to jump right into it. Oh yeah. And so I'm forced to take a side on some things versus other things. And, you know, TJ, I've covered him since he was 16 years old. Right. And I know Daniel Ewing, but, I cover those Willers teams, but TJ and I are pretty tight. Anytime I'd side with Daniel in the argument, TJ would hit me, elbow me, elbow. Come on, man. Come on. When him and Daniel get together now, that is some head button action because uh, how they grew up together playing basketball on the same AU and high school team. So that, that was a lot of fun with those guys, I'll tell you. And yeah. Daniel, Daniel was all Duke now, by the way, all Duke, all Duke. You couldn't argue anything with him on that. So TJ – you know, these guys remember, these competitive guys, they remember. TJ always had a little red ass about Daniel being ranked yes. higher than him. Yes. yes, absolutely. And so TJ would go practice with the second team guys at Willeridge against the first team guys minus him just to beat them. That's yeah. how competitive he was. Well, to tell you about TJ and, and how refreshing it is versus the current NBA of you try to pick your own all-star team, right? right? TJ was the dude who would show up to the rec center and get me, you, and another guy 
and then take on the, the other college players. And then he would take great joy in winning the game. That's it. That's it. You know, and it's interesting. He got on the, he gets out on the court some, he can't much, right. Because of spinal stenosis, he can't go too hard, but um, he still loves to engage in that as much as he can, especially with the younger kids, because the interesting thing about like, I'll tell you a story, like running, helping run the Under Armour camps uh, for however many years that was Jeff Blake was the quarterback coach, right? Jeff Blake would be out there warming up and th- ripping balls to wide receivers. And I had maybe two quarterbacks in a five-year period actually know who he was. And my point in saying that was these kids just don't know. So TJ likes to get engaged with those young guys when they come into the gym to make sure they know who he was and who he is. Yeah. And he has a great way of communicating and coaching them through the trash talk. And it's just a lot of fun to watch. You, you know, that is an interesting thing. And I'm going to sound like an old man here, but – one of the things you and I probably shared growing up is we had an interest in knowing the great old players. And I don't just mean guys from our parents' generation. I mean, we wanted to know who Bill Russell was. We wanted yes. to know, you know, guys way ahead of us. Uh, you know, I've seen old tape of Lou Alcindor. Right. When he was not the slow, bald guy walking up and down the court shooting his skyhook, but he was – freaking making a steal and going end to end and dunking from the free throw line. Right. right. Yeah. And to your point, Barry Sanders is my favorite running back. And people used to say, well, he's similar to Gail Sayers. That made me want to go watch Gail Sayers. Yes. Okay. What exactly are those similarities? People that have more experience than I have are saying about these two guys to your point. And that's, you know, so you won't go and study Gail Sayers. I, I'll tell you a funny one. I was at Episcopal high school with Jalen Waddle. Um, when he was a junior, I was over there to see Marvin Wilson and all those guys, Walker Little and and then uh, Waddle. I said, you know who you remind me of a little bit? I said, you're a faster version of him. And he said, who? And I said, Peter Wark. And he said, who's that? Oh. I said, who's Peter Wark? And I immediately went to the YouTube and got his highlight clip and texted it to him. I said, dude, you need to watch this and study this because you're two, you're two seconds faster than this guy, but y'all are so similar in, in the way you – return return punts and the way you move and just the way you give that little head and shoulder shimmy uh to make somebody eat the grass but it's funny he didn't know who peter Rourke was yeah it's just we're at with kids nowadays it's a really interesting phenomenon i can't fully explain it but there's yeah i mean peter Wark, the fastest four six dude i've ever seen ever right and his lateral was just that, that little head and shoulder and those hips man i mean guys are just going every direction and he ended up going pretty much straight. You just didn't think he was going straight a lot of times. I, I would be so scared to run into Peter Warwick in a football field, like with space around us. He'd be the guy that I would like literally break my ankle and fall down. The coach would blind it like 10 times the next day. At least 10, yes. <laughs> All right, Jerry, I want to talk about your your origin story. You you you, you were a basketball guy. Yeah. Right? You yeah. were a good high school basketball player. Yeah. You didn't yeah. play football. Play football through my freshman year, um, okay. but my dad, my dad coached high school football in Texas for about 40 years, and I grew up with it Friday nights, sidelines, watching film with my dad. You know, I loved more than I loved playing football. I loved watching and studying the, the recruits because I was in recruiting at an early age. I mean, I remember sitting at Galveston, uh, Galveston Ball. Uh, I went down there by myself. They played the game on a Saturday afternoon. It was Casey Hampton versus. Uh, David Warren, Gary Baxter, John Tyler. David Warren Damn. walked three punts that day. 
I went down there by myself, short drive friends with the Galveston, but that's kind of how I grew up with it is I, I cared about watching the guys, the recruits more than I did playing football. I love to play basketball. I mean, if I wasn't scared of my Achilles uh, going there, uh, something wrong, I'd play basketball now, but I'm, I'm smart enough that I've had two friends tear their Achilles. I'm like, it's not worth it, but I love the game of basketball, but I love the game of football. I just loved it from a recruiting and a kind of evaluation standpoint more than actually like going out there as an undersized white guy getting smacked around by Lamarck and in Texas City in the same district right uh so that's that's kind of my background and I you know it, it's I have such great memories my dad was offensive coordinator at Nacogdoches back when though it was a early 80s 81 86 and Nacogdoches actually had one of their good teams back then but um you know John Tyler Pine Tree Longview Marshall Lufkin it was all one district and wow. I, I was a ball boy on the sidelines, and I just remember, uh, you know, how hard those guys hit each other back then. I was like, whoa, this is really physical stuff. And I, what, how old was I, seven, eight, nine at the time? And then my dad went to Pasadena Adobe where they had Trevor Cobb and Craig Stevens, uh, really good running backs. Obviously, Stevens played fullback at Baylor, and they lost to Kervin Richards in the playoffs. And I, I just, you know, that was kind of what hooked me. Um, and then obviously going to Wortham and seeing Leonard Davis, I was like, uh-oh, this I was like my first year in the business. I was working for David Garvin at Heartland Recruiting. <laughs> and, and you see, you remember that? And I saw Leonard <laughs> Davis. So, so this is what this business is. I'm going to have a lot of fun in this now. I mean, this he was an unbelievable specimen at Wortham High School. Then watching, watching those guys come through, Colt McCoy play in the state basketball tournament, right? I mean, just watching all those guys come through. I mean, in, in, in basketball, it, it all kind of marries together for me. The basketball courts, I think, is good a place to evaluate football players is on a football field on Friday night. Because, and I say that for two reasons. One, I'll tell you a story about Vince Young. So Vince Young, obviously, was the most as dominant player you'll ever see in, in high school football, right? Um, he didn't. He rarely faced any adversity on a football field unless Austin Westlake beat him because they had a better team, right? Um, but it, on basketball court, he was really talented, but he wasn't always the best player. And I remember going to a game, and he got a couple early fouls. Then he got a couple fouls early in the third quarter. And when he went out of the game, he went and sat at the end of the bench with a towel over his head, and nobody could talk to him. Hmm. And I said, okay, that's interesting about Vince, because as great a talent as he is, if you only see him in football, you have no idea that, okay, he, he, he's not used to adverse situations on an athletic field or court. And he's going to have to get better at handling those. And, and I thought that was such – that's why you go watch these guys in other sports, right? I mean, I remember, you know, I was at a Baylor satellite camp, and, and I was listening to Art Browse talk to a high school coach about how he evaluates quarterbacks. And, by the way, Art's the best quarterback evaluator this state's ever seen, no matter what people think about it, um, is he loved the guy that was the star on Friday night as a quarterback and was a member of a team, basketball, baseball, whatever – so he, he was a leader on a Friday night on a football team, and then he had to be a teammate in other sports and had to learn from that standpoint, okay, watch another leader. Who's the leader of the baseball team? Who's the leader of the basketball team? And if that guy ended up being the if, – if a Jarrett Stidham ended up being the leader of a basketball team when he was the seventh man, that really impressed him along with the skill set. So I just – I think, you know, the other sports are so important. We've got to specialize with one sport, I think. And uh, I think the best thing for these kids is to be the best at football and not be the best at basketball. Be a part of the team 
and actually learn how to be a teammate and then learn from there. Okay. When things don't go well, I've got to respond adversely on the basketball court because you don't have to on the football field, much as talented as these kids are. You, man, there's so many gems in that. That is exactly right. Um, building an, a correct athletic temperament. Yep. You've got to be able to be the lead dog and you also need to be able to be a sled dog. Yep. And there's a, the view is, is it always the same as a sled dog unless you're the leader. That's right. There's and, no doubt about it. No doubt. And like, if people would have seen, if, if all you guys would have been at that basketball game, when I saw Vince kind of go into a shell where he was non-responsive to anybody and had a towel over his head, you'd, you'd have said, is he going to be as great as we think? Well, then you go back to football and you say, okay, yeah, because he's just like the best college football player ever. But it was so interesting to see him in that adverse situation. Um, and I remember that's why to this day, Paul, uh, and it may not be fair, but any D lineman that I evaluate or look at, I compare him to Casey Hampton. And it has nothing to do with Casey Hampton going to Texas. Um, it has everything to do with Casey Hampton at 260 pounds as a sophomore, 280 pounds as a junior, 310 pounds as a senior. He never took a, a snap off. That guy played harder than anybody I've ever seen that weighed 300 pounds. And that's how you play nose guard on what two world championship teams and should be a Hall of Fame player. He had two ACL surgeries. I mean, that guy, yes, he was naturally strong. Yes, he could dunk a basketball flat footed at 6'1, 280. Okay. I get Bare, it. Barely 6'1. Barely. But I, I get it. But you, the motor, the willingness to play hard uh, and to take, he, every snap was adversity to him in college in the NFL because he had two guys on it. Yeah. How many times was he single blocked in college in the NFL? Uh, not very much unless Sean Rogers was going off one game and you had to adjust. I mean, so he was in an adverse situation every snap and he played harder than anybody I've ever seen. And that may not be fair, but just like last weekend out in Vegas at the Pangos at that big basketball um, camp, top hundred kids in the country, uh, Van Coleman, one of the big basketball names, right? Of, of so many years we we're talking about that. He said, you know, I just I judge 90 percent of these kids on how hard they play nowadays, he said, because that's the one thing he said in any sport you go, anything you watch after you get past really good feet, ankle flexion, all that stuff we talked about earlier is how hard do you really play? How hard do you play when you're getting your your ass kicked and you have four points and two rebounds against Uganda Kingsley, this 2023 five star kid who you can't get a shot to the rim against? Do you still play that hard? Do you go at him on the other end and try to get – do you understand how to play hard? So, I, that's – I mean, a little long-winded, but finding those guys that play hard no matter what, I think are such difference makers. And, you know, people say, well, Nick Saban, he gets the best players. Yeah, but he develops those players, and he's probably done a better job finding guys that play hard that were highly ranked than any other coach I've ever seen. Yeah, and he inculcates a culture where – Anything but hard play is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Yeah. And they'll just drum you out. And That's right. to bolster your point about Casey, who is one of my favorite Longhorn players in any sport ever, look it up, people. 1999, Casey Hampton led the Texas Longhorns in tackles, playing nose tackle. Yep. That doesn't happen. It's, yeah. it's Look, Puna Ford was a damn good nose tackle, okay? Yeah. Very disruptive for Charlie Strong. He's still in the league earning a check. I love Puna. Puna had 25 tackles as a senior, okay? Right. Casey Hampton had like 115. And 30 for loss. I mean, let's just think about that. <laughs> he led the freaking team in tackles getting doubled every play. 
Hey, the uh, the uh, the old Texas high school coaches all star game, which doesn't exist anymore. One of the sad things, but it was going to happen with early uh, a graduation and kids going in in June. But there was a uh, center from the Clyde area that signed with Duke. Casey Hampton kind of waddled out there. His jersey was too big, and the guy started laughing at him. And Casey Hampton saw him laughing at him. And I've never seen somebody get their ass kicked in an all star game environment like that for as long as it happened. I mean, from the first snap, you could just tell uh, Casey Hampton was going to knock this guy into the dirt every play for laughing at him. And that, maybe that's kind of Casey's deal too, right? I mean, ah, you're going to laugh at me. Here I come. I'm not the best. I'm not in the best shape. I don't have the best frame, blah, blah, blah. And maybe that's part of his, his stick a little bit in football. But uh, he annihilated this guy. Uh, it was unbelievable. And I'm, uh, there's somebody that played it up, passing to Sam Rayburn, I'm sure is a uh, friend of both of ours that has a story from when he played against Calveston Ball with Casey Hampton, making the center on his high school team cry in the middle of the second quarter. So that was Casey Hampton. That's amazing. Well, I, would, I could have been that center, so I can't give that kid too much uh, grief. I didn't play center, but had I and Casey Hampton went against me by about the mid-third quarter, there'd be a little tear. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> uh, you know, I got to tell you, there's an NFL player who lives in the Austin area named John Wellborn. Yeah. And John was a very, very good NFL player, played at Cal and college, very smart guy. And he's a monster. He's about 6'6", 315, like cut like no gut on him. And John said something really interesting one time. And he said, the weirder the body a dude has at the higher levels, yes, be very scared because there's a reason that weird body got him there. And that guy has leverages yep. and he has a, a fulcrum to his body and his build that you're going to struggle with. And he's like, never be, he's like in the NFL, I was never scared of Adonis. I was always scared of the guy with that weird doo-doo body because I knew I couldn't move that son of a bitch off his spot. Right. right. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you one, Bobby, Bobby Burton and I were talking about it about a year ago. We're going, we're talking about offensive linemen and yeah, Steve Hutchinson didn't fall into that category, but Steve hit, Hutchinson was a little tighter guy in the hips and he, he wasn't as flexible as a lot of guys, but again, that motor and that how hard you play really translated with him one of the great linemen, but he wasn't how you draw it up from a, not from a frame standpoint he was, but from an athletic standpoint. So I, to that point, it's totally agree. The bad body guys or the guys who are at the highest level and may not be as flexible as the other guys, you better get your lunch bell ready against those players because they are going to bring it every snap because they had to to get to where they were, and that's the difference. Brings to mind another guy who actually was extremely athletic, uh, but didn't fit the the stereotype of what you want. He's up for the College Hall of Fame right now. That's Dan Neal. Yeah. Dan was six feet tall. Yeah. Don't, don't believe the program. Yeah. But also go into your kitchen and look at your refrigerator. Right. Because that was Dan Neal. And imagine a refrigerator that went 100% on every snap and probably ran about a 4840. And understood leverage. And understood, and understood leverage. why he was going to win being undersized. And was quick as a freaking cat. Yeah. Like if you're sitting in a room with Dan Neal and you think you could get to the front door before he could get you, good luck. Yeah, exactly. No, he's a big time, big time athlete on the offensive line. Big time. And, and I mean, um, if you go and watch that old uh, Nebraska Big 12 title game, he wears out 
all those Nebraska interior defensive linemen. I'm not talking about by the mid- middle of the third quarter, dude's getting pancaked 10 yards down the field. Yes. And, yeah. and he's 40 pounds lighter. And that was routine. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. And to this day, the greatest pulling guard I've ever seen at Texas. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no doubt about it. And, you know, again, let's talk about motor. He had a great motor too, yeah. right? I mean, if you're six foot and a quarter, 280, and you don't have a motor, you're not going to be that successful. Um, and I, it kind of goes back to the the most difficult part about our business really is, is I think it goes from high school to college and college to the NFL. I've been fooled on kids I thought had motors before. But then when you get to college and it's running out from under the tunnel, it's everything that goes along with being a college athlete, the girls, blah, 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 blah. That motor doesn't run as hot. Yeah. And then from college to the NFL, and, and I think it's Jadavion Clowney's the greatest one for me because he's my ear. We had him in an Under Armour game, and he's the quickest guy off the ball I've ever seen at his size. But then when you start making a lot of money, does the motor stop a little bit? Do you want to be a Hall of Fame player, or are you just like having all the cars and everything that comes along with being an NFL player? So I've been, I have been fooled by the motor before. Um, for sure on guys. And I think that's why we're always in, a, in exact science. You don't know how a kid's going to handle going to college, uh, being a student athlete, especially now with NIL. I think we're going to see some some real catastrophes out there in the future. <laughs> I mean, I really do. It's going to be sad. Uh, and then college, CNFL. Well, guys have never had money. Then you have 10, 15, 20 million dollars. If you don't really love the game and truly have that motor, then it's going to get exposed. Well, I want to talk, I want to circle back on that motor because there's another type of classic recruit. We talked about the guy who's got all the traits, but he's weak and he's not developed yet and how that deceives a lot of the uh, scouts, not you. Uh, But there's another type on the other end I want to talk about, but I want to talk about motor. And here's my blatant commercial interest. This podcast is sponsored and it's sponsored by a guy whose motor does not stop. He is the best damn mortgage broker in the state of Texas. His name is Gabe Winslow. You can reach him at 832-557-1095. He's out in Atascacita. Okay. Uh, actually, he's, near, he's in Huffman. Okay. Which, you know, pretty sophisticated place, Huffman, yeah, Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Gabe does mortgages everywhere. If you're in the great state of Texas, you need to call this dude. He works his ass off. He's sharp as hell. He's got a law degree, uh, National Merit Scholar coming out of high school. Not the typical dude in the mortgage business. No offense to you other mortgage brokers out there, but he is a sharp guy who's going to get you the best deal. And with interest rates going up uh, higher than our shoe sizes, Jerry, uh, this is a guy you want on your side. Reach out to him at 832-557-1095. You let him know that Jerry Hamilton sent you and he's going to cut you a good deal. All right. I want to talk about this other side of the classic recruit out of high school that's hard to eval. The fat kid, the fat kid who doesn't have a motor because he's fat, not because he may not have a motor. It's because he's fat and he, he doesn't have the conditioning. What Vince Lombardi said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And it's true. Uh, I'm talking about Cortez Kennedy. I'm talking about Russell Maryland. I'm talking about the fat kid, Warren Sapp, the fat kid who doesn't have a motor because he's too fat, right. but he's got those sweet feet, he's got these attributes that a Jerry Hamilton notices that the other people dismiss. How do you go about evaluating whether someone is lazy, I mean, on the field, because they're fat or because right. they just lack drive? 
Yeah, I, I think it's really tough. Like, okay, I can't pronounce the last name, but Samu, the D lineman at Atasca Seed in 2023, right? He's a classic case of that. When we had the, uh, when I was at ESPN, we had the Under Armour uh, Elite Underclassman camp um, a year ago, uh, March. He was 430 pounds, Paul. How can you be a good football player at 430 pounds when you're 6'3"? It's not, no. it's impossible. It's not going to happen. Now that he's down to 370-ish, ish, he always had good feet. You watch him in drills, you're like, well, that was kind of impressive. But he could only play two snaps and he was out, right? Yeah. So that, you know, to me on the high school level, kids that lose some weight on their own or make that decision, okay, I've got to get with this trainer. I've got to get with somebody who's going to help me because I do want to be a really good player and I don't want to piss this opportunity away to go to Oregon or Baylor or wherever Samu ends up. Um, that those are really impressive guys to me. And that doesn't mean I'm going to have those guys the highest rank because there's still some, uh, some, some stuff there, right? Um, because if you get the 400 once, you can get the 400 again. It doesn't take much. Um, but, you know, I, noticing that, I'll tell you another one is the a kid from Smithson Valley, the offensive lineman Colton Thomas and committed to A&M. At our first time I saw him as a head in the sophomore year, 385, 390. He's down to 320 on his own. Wow. He's down to 320 on his own in a year and a half, two years now. So, and his dad's a, a, a coach at the high school level there at Smithson Valley. But this kid told me, you know, I, I want to be really good. And the only way I was going to be really good is if I changed my diet and started working out a little bit more. And by that, he meant conditioning. Um, but I think you see it with the big kids, right, that are really big when they're young. And so they're going to go one of two ways. They're going to drop some weight with their conditioning high school programs, and they're going to fool you or they're going to really have a plan and stick to that plan. And I'll tell you one in basketball. How about Dexter Pittman? Dexter Pittman at Rosenberg Terry was damn near 390. And I remember running into Rodney Terry, um, and he was like, you know, this kid's got a chance. We, we just – we got to get him with Todd Wright, but if he's got a chance. And I looked at RT, I was like, uh, maybe. I mean, I, I see what y'all are talking about, but man, that's a long way to go. Well, that guy got down to 320, 325 yep. Yep. and ends up being a second round pick. So I also think that's a big part of it is where these kids go, who do they get with? Uh, and I'm not saying Todd Wright was the end all be all for Dexter Pittman, but he may have been. He, he uh, was the right he, guy for him. That's right. Exactly. And that's big too, when you get to the next level. And all the plans have to be different for each player, right? I mean, and that's where we're at with nutrition programs and strength and conditioning now. You know, how long ago was it 20 years? Everybody did the same workout, right? It, you can't do that anymore. You can't have the same nutritional plans. You can't have the same workouts. It's got to be it, – there's got to be something set for each individual almost. You have to really know your guys um, and know their strengths and weaknesses and know what you have to do to maximize their ability. It can't all be the same workout. It can't all be the same nutrition. And I think that's where we're at in college sports now, which is going to help a guy like Samu wherever he goes. I think, you know, Oregon or Baylor today. Um, so that I don't know if I answered your question, uh, but I think everything plays into it. But there are those are very difficult evaluations because, you know, you've seen over the years guys that drop down. But then once they sign, then they're showing up 410 again before when they hit a college campus. Um, but the guys that over a period of like the Colton Thomas and kid, I'm not saying he's going to be an NFL player. That's to be determined. When a kid over a two-year period loses 70 pounds, essentially, you know that kid has the right mindset to succeed. And then it's all about 
actually doing it against bigger frame guys that are stronger play in and play out. There's some want to there that they're demonstrating. Yes. yes. You know, there's a, a subcategory of this group. And I noticed this with Keandre Coburn. He realized he needed to lose some weight because, hey, modern offense, they can keep you on the field and they yep. can go fast and you don't get a vote. Okay. Yep. So people are like, well, he's going to be our first and second down. Hey, man, that's all gone. That's gone. Yeah. There's no more of that. Okay. Yep. There's no more platooning and we're going to run him out on. No, no, no. There's no running out. They're snapping the ball. That's and, right. And, you know, the fact is, Keandre lost weight, in my opinion, the wrong way. He, I think he stopped lifting. I think he ate less and I think he conditioned more. And I think he lost some of what made him great, which is strength. Yeah. And he played that way, frankly, last year. And I hope he's back on, you know, in proper habits and, and, you can both get strong or maintain your strength and also lose weight when you're a big guy. Yeah. Uh, you can't do that when you're a skinny guy. It doesn't work no. that way. No, no, it doesn't. no, it doesn't work that way. It's, it, it's frustrating to me as a non-expert, but who does know some things, to see so-called professionals mismanage basic shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll tell you a crazy one to me, uh, Paul, is this came up about – I was about a decade ago. Um, and I don't know if it's really changed now, but do you know, so you sign 25 guys a year, right? You have 85 guys in your football program and three drop passes, missed blocks, whatever can cost you three games. And the difference between 10 and one and seven or four or back then 11 games or now seven and five and five and seven, right? They didn't test guys eyes at the college level other than the quarterbacks. Wait, like they didn't didn't give them the full physical? They did this eye test. That's all I'm talking about. I'm talking about a real dilation of eyes and testing vision for players. So you're investing, and this was a decade ago when this came up with a college staff. I said, so you didn't mean to tell me, y'all are, these universities are putting millions and millions of dollars in the athletics in these football programs. And y'all don't know if guys can truly see or not. And your left tackle could could not be 20-20 in that left eye. And that guy zips past him and the quarterback's hit and the ball's fumbled and you lose the game in the fourth quarter because of that. And you didn't know what his vision was. That's how crazy some of this stuff is to me is all the money. And I'm sure it's changed, um, but all the money that was invested in the stuff a decade ago. And you didn't know if all 85%, all 85 scholarship players, you didn't know what their vision truly was. And that blew my mind when that conversation came up because I was like, how, I mean, uh, yeah, of course you're going to tell of course your quarterback you have to know but I, why wouldn't you know on everybody wow. i mean I, I, it's unbelievable to me so it's that's one of the craziest stories i have from this business is you would think they have every t crossed and i dotted and and just a few years ago they were far from it well man that's a great point i mean talk about the most basic elementary aspect of any sport being able to see and and yeah. have some peripheral right oh. well here's another thing consider uh and this kind of dovetails with something interesting story a guy i know told me uh but you should test and examine for learning disability 100 and no, you should also bad. test for how you learn which is 100%. some people are kinesthetic learners a lot of athletes look tj ford is a athletic genius kinesthetically right. he sees things on a basketball court that you and i don't see right right uh, and, and I imagine you see a basketball court pretty well. Yeah. 
but he sees some angles you may oh, yeah. not see. No, right? not even close. Yeah, exactly. But if you, some of these guys, TJ is not one of these guys, but if you put it on a whiteboard, they literally have no idea what you're talking about. Audio or visual. It's very simple. You can't, so, if you have 10 guys in your wide receiver room, you can't assume all 10 are the same learners. If you I, do, you're somebody's going to get left behind and he might be your best, most talented guy. And you, Jerry, I, you made it. I can tell you definitively three of the 10 are pure kinesthetic learners. And if yep. you set up some chairs in the room and said, you're this chair, when he lines up and this chair goes over here, you're going to run a dig. And the guy goes, no problem. Got it. If you show him on the whiteboard, he's like, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. And he zones out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and, that, and, and it's so true. And I think the NFL, from what I understand, does a great job of that. But it was a, this conversation, Paul, came up with a uh, former head coach uh, that's now an offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. And we had this very discussion that even if you have a room of four quarterbacks, they're not all going to learn the same way. And if you assume right. they do, your most talented guy and your best guy might get left behind. And you might wonder, well, why did he not make it? Well, you know why he didn't make it? Because you didn't know he was an audio versus visual learner. Well, there's the famous uh, Brett, Brett Favre story. Uh, like his third year in the NFL, the coach is like, hey, when the nickel does this, we've got to watch the nickel blitz here. And he raises his hand. He goes like, you keep talking about a nickel. What is a nickel? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Brett just... He just dropped back and threw the ball to the open guy. Yes, he did. He didn't as hard as anybody ever has. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine? Uh, All right. So here's a little bit of a dovetailed story with that, talking about learning and, and even cultural pieces to learning. I have a friend who's a veteran, and part of his job was to train um, Iraqi commandos, right? And he's a, he's a special operations guy. And they're literally, they make what they call a sand table. They make a little model of like, hey, you go here, we're going here. Here's the Euphrates, it's to your left, whatever they're, you know. And everyone's nodding. It's, you know, it's an honor shame culture as many um, Islamic cultures are, right? And you don't admit when you don't know something. It's, it's like rude. Um, and it's also, you lose face. And these guys are all nodding and then they go out on the operation and literally they're just running around randomly. And he's like, what, what is going on? Like we talked about this. And what he realized was they had no idea what he was talking about. What, what they knew was if you said the barber shop uh, two blocks over to the old market, they'd know that like cold. But if you gave a grand 10,000 foot view of a map, they literally had no cultural translation of what you were showing them. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, it's just, and it's everywhere. We just, it's just not talked about, right? Yeah. I mean, and so you just tied it to something outside of the lines in football. Uh, it's the same in basketball, right? I mean, if this came up uh, with a staff I know a few years ago, is same thing. You know, we go in there, we break down film. Well, you have to break that down a certain way for it was a wing player that didn't that had that didn't have a learning disability. They had to break that down a different way than they did for the other 12 guys on the team. And if they didn't come Tuesday and Saturday, that kid was never in the right spot. Huh. And so it's just, it's, and I think we've come a long way in that regard in college athletics. Um, and I think the pros probably push that a little bit with the college coaches. And, and as you get more guys on staff, right? I mean, as staffs have grown and there's more specialization within those staffs. Uh, I, th I think we've, Cured a lot of those ills, uh, I'll say. Um, but 
I still, and I'm now that I've, you brought it back to my attention, I'm going to go ask about three staffs. Hey, do y'all test the guy's eyes now? I wonder if that's changed in the last few years because the conversation hasn't come up. That's interesting. That that's really interesting stuff, man. I, I uh, it blows your, that one blows your mind, really. It Without really me. blows my mind because it's such a basic check in the box, right? It's it's like buying a house and not doing the inspection. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and this isn't this isn't what we're talking about. We're Gary, talking about uh, for the for the audio listeners, he's covering one eye and pretending to read the chart. <laughs> yeah, Jerry's talking about active, engaged vision, your ability to have depth perception, peripheral, move, you know, yeah. track a moving object. Sorry, it's not a parade. It's all right. <laughs> What's uh did you commit a crime? <laughs> not not this week. Nope. Well. As a as a friend of mine, a nightclub owner once told me, never commit a crime while you're committing a crime. <laughs> and what he meant by that is if, if you're fleeing a robbery, don't jump the turnstile on the subway. That's right. Yeah. That's how you get busted for the that's robbery. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good advice for the criminals out there. All right. I'm going to end on this. I brought up the book, The Sports Gene. It's written by David Epstein. He also wrote a book. You mentioned this a little bit earlier called Range. And his argument in range is that if you want to maximize as an athlete, you have to multi-sport, you have to create off seasons to your primary sport. And by the way, the skills you will acquire as a wrestler, as a basketball player, as a boxer, as a track guy will translate directly to football because if all you do, and this is a, this is a law of accommodation, it's a physical rule. If all you do is your sport, you'll max out. And then you'll actually begin to get worse at your sport. And I'm not, let me say that again. If all you do is your sport, not only will you plateau, you'll begin to get worse at your sport. And that's how a 15-year-old girl tennis phenom can be washed out and done by age 17. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, just, and it's any sport. Like you said, you just brought up tennis. You can look at it. I mean, obviously golf's a different deal, right? But um uh, but every other team sport, absolutely, man. I mean, wrestling is huge in our evaluation process. Yeah. Dot, put, and discus are huge. And that's more of an athletic, explosive thing. But to your to that point, though, shot, put, and discus is huge for your linemen, offensive and defensive linemen, because it keeps you bending and rotating in a different way than a football workout does. And that ankle flexion is tested. That foot quickness is tested. I, I love big guys that play basketball. Because you have to bend your knees and you have to quickly react. Your body and your feet have to react to sudden movement in your peripheral. And that's not in a football workout in the offseason. I'm sorry. You can, you can kind of get a little bit of that, but it's not the same as an athletic setting uh, in a contest in a real live game. And we're, we'll be talking about this on a podcast in a few years. I know, Paul, is Cam Williams, the big offensive lineman from Duncanville. I was most impressed with him in a layup line in basketball one because the xxl jersey couldn't fit him and it looked like it looked like me wearing a, 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 was it a half medium, shirt a medium yeah it was a halter top essentially <laughs> but, like scott glenn and urban cowboy <laughs> yeah exactly but he dunked the basketball and i only got the i got the bad video of course because i was just kind of like hmm that's interesting he dunked the ball eight times in a row through in the layup line and he was six five three ninety at the time Wow, and people like me, wow. six five, you should be able to dunk. Well, yeah, be six five three ninety, and tell me how that goes for you, right? But he had the ability one to leave his feet that often and dunk the basketball with authority. The one I, I got the video on, he barely punched it through, but that was like the eighth or ninth one. 
but you know he did it being light on his feet with a little bounce bending his knees um and you're just like okay this guy i'm not sure he's where you'd ideally want to be on the football field with a kick slide and all that but as an athlete watch out when he gets to college and i can tell for the texas fans that haven't been on the inside texas we pointed this out last week. He's already doing very well at right tackle at Texas because he's got such athletic gifts at his size. And now all it comes down to is getting him in shape. He reported at 380. He's already down in the 360s. Getting him in shape, getting him to understand the nuances of the position. And then it all comes down to if you understand the line calls um, and the walls don't close in, then that guy's going to be an NFL player. He's just got too many gifts. I've got to credit you with getting me turned on to Cam Williams because I saw the weight and I saw the the body and I was like, Oh man, I've seen this at Texas before. Come on, man. And, and then I heard your description of his feet and his agility. And I was like, okay, okay. We've got our Cortez Kennedy potential dude here. Yeah. Um, it's shaking now, up. I, I got to think. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, buddy. I, I got to think he's going to be a little like some of those OU tackles. Yeah. The load holds, those guys. Load but I think maybe a better athlete, potentially. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's to me, now, now that we know, we know, it, it comes down to on Saturday when you're lined up against Alabama, Oklahoma, whoever it is you're lined up against. And those line calls are made. How, how, is, how quickly do you process? How's your peripheral? How do you handle stunts? Because if all that stuff checks out with him, that guy's going to get drafted. I, I've been doing this too long. Now, there's injuries, right? There's off the field. So as long as he does the right things, I've seen, I've been doing this long enough. You know, when you see these guys, the athletic gifts, the shoulders, the hands. I mean, the guy's got the biggest elbow bones. It looks like Leonard Davis. I mean, he's just a massive human being. So now it comes down to everything on Saturday in between the lines. If he can yep. handle all that, He's got the physicality. He's got all that. If he can handle everything between the lines on Saturdays, he will play on Sundays. That's awesome. Well, I'm giddy about this O-line class. And Do you need a realtor in Central Texas? Of course you do. We all need a realtor in Central Texas. Even those of us who live in Dallas or Houston or San Francisco or Denver, Colorado, you need to go to Central Texas anyway. And the reason is Laura Baker is a fantastic realtor. She's great at what she does. She's a member of the elite Andy Allen team for Keller Williams. You can reach her at 512-784-0505. Talk with Laura if you're thinking about putting your house on the market. This is a great time to get market comps. Uh, if you're looking to buy in the market, you need all the help you can get. Call Laura and it's 512-784-0505. We, the 22 guys, I mean, we've done this class of beef thing before. And then you watch the tape and you're like, come on, like, get out of here. This, right. is, this is a volume argument, not a quality argument. This 22 class looks legit. It's way early. It's offensive line. I'm going to apply all the caveats. Offensive right. line is its own thing. It's, it's the only position comparable to quarterback in terms of pure development, right? Yeah. But I'm excited about these guys. Yeah. I, well, look, you can just start at the top. And, and these guys, they all have to go maximize. They have to get it done. I think Kyle Flood's a tremendous offensive line coach. But you have three guys off the top that Bama would assign. Yes, Let's just go from there. I mean, so then it comes down to if two of those three guys hit, right, then it comes down to what's the rest of that class look like. And then you only need two of those guys that really hit 
three to hit as far as playing, two to hit as far as getting drafted. If you have a line class of four guys that potentially get drafted, um, then you've had one hell of a run on the offensive line in the 2022 class. And I do think, you know, and there's guys at every position. That's the thing. I mean, Neto's a right tackle or guard. Uh, Devon Campbell's working out a left tackle a little bit, but he's a guard, right? Kelvin Banks is your left tackle. Cameron Williams is your right tackle. Cole Hudson's a guard center. Connor Robertson's a center who's got to come back from the shoulder surgery. And then Malik Agbo has great feet. And you just don't know where he's going to go. He hasn't played as much football as the kids from Texas. But if you take all those guys right now and you put them in the offensive system under Sark and with Kyle Flood coaching him, I'll be shocked if you don't get four NFL players out of that group. That would be remarkable. And that's exactly what Texas, you know, people say, when's Texas going to come back? I'm like, when we start putting offensive linemen and defensive linemen on the reg in the NFL draft. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look, I mean, I think Clemson's one of the great college football studies in the last 20 years. They haven't had an offensive lineman draft in the first round since what, 80, 81. Mm -hmm. They've had some fourth round, fifth round picks on the national title team, but you can mask an offensive line, right? I mean, Colt McCoy, they got the national title. That offensive line was no NFL guys really on it, right? I mean, that really played play. But you can mask offensive line. Um, you can't mask defensive line. You have to have dudes. You have to have NFL players across the board at that position. Um, but with offensive line, the difference is then if you start having those NFL offensive linemen and you have the NFL defensive linemen, then you start to play when it matters to me. I mean, and Clemson was so great at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tied in. They masked their offensive line in their scheme and the, and the speed at which they played. But if you're really making the move to the SEC, and people can say what they want, I don't really care. If you don't have NFL guys on both sides of the ball in that league, you're going to get your butt kicked. I mean, that's just a reality. And so the offensive line class in 2022 was huge for Texas. I actually think they got some really good defensive linemen, maybe not ranked as high, but I do think this staff is on the right. Uh, they have the right plan, and they're on the right trajectory and path on, on the front seven on defense, uh, really deep line, and then uh, offensive line. They have to address linebacker in this class. But I do think they're recruiting the right guys, and they signed enough for the right guys on the offensive line, obviously, and the defensive line. Now you just got to get edge and linebacker uh, short up. But they are recruiting the right guys. Now you just have to close. Yep, that's it. It's encouraging. Well, speaking of closing, Jerry, I could talk to you all day about this stuff, man. It's been an education. Uh, it's been long overdue. Read the sports team. I'll do it. I would Done. love to have a pod just talking about it because you're going to love it. It's, I'll do it. It's stuff instinctively you know. And this guy, David Epstein, just breaks it down across all these different sports about, hey, Malcolm Gladwell, it's catchy, 10,000 hours. But the reality is you and I can practice all we want. We're not, playing, right. the, we're not playing in the NFL or the NBA. No, no, we're, no, no, we're not. And, uh, my, son, my son said that yesterday when he got in the car after watching James Harden work out. <laughs> seeing how big he was in person, he was like, Dad. I was like, dude, that's why I brought you here. I mean, it, it, James Harden is smooth. He's talented, but he is 6'6 with a strong body. It's not even an athletic body anymore. But when you add that with the smoothness and the ability to shoot the basketball, we can't do that. We're never going to do that. <laughs> nope, not at all. Yeah, that is one of the shocking things if you ever sit courtside at an NBA game. It's not how tall the guys are or how fluid or athletic they are. You get that on TV. Right. They're big. They're big. Well, Harden weighs 225. Luca's the best one nowadays because I don't know if you've seen Luca in person. Of course. 
it, he doesn't walk like an athlete. He's almost the opposite in the NBA. Bumbers. He walks. You're like, this guy's not athletic. And he does, he's not, he's not the best athlete ever on the court. But it goes back to the Dan deal thinking one, he's big enough right in the NBA. He out leverages everybody and he beats them with footwork and a lower shoulder, inside shoulder than everybody. And when you do that with the court vision he has and the playmaking and the ability to shoot the ball, but he's the worst athlete on the court every night he steps out there. But he's overcome that because everything else is so technically perfect with his game and the feel, the innate feel. But he's the interesting one in the NBA uh, for me because, wow, you know, when you watch him, you're just like, hmm, not an athletic dude, but then he's the best player on the court. Well, and you could take a lot more banging and ouchies when you're 235 than 195. Yes, 6'8 yes. and 235 helps. Yeah, it sure does. All right. Hey, Jerry, you've been awesome. I appreciate right, it. We got to do this again. And uh, for Jerry Hamilton and Paul Wadlington, we are out. All right. Later. All right. See you, pal.